Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 391 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. So excited to welcome Patrick Lencioni back to the podcast. He's becoming a frequent flyer around here, and that's great. I mean, one of the great thrills of being able to do this is some of the people that I watched from the back row years ago have now become friends and colleagues and an opportunity to bring some of Pat's fresh insight and ideas. So we're going to talk about working genius today, uncovering why some aspects of leadership drain you and why some energize you and how to get the best out of your team. All that. Today's episode is brought to you by the 30-Day Pivot. If you want to simplify your decision-making, get your team action-oriented, check out the 30daypivot.com to start making progress in the next 30, 60, 90 days. And the Dwell app, Get Dwell, an audio Bible app today by going to dwellapp.io forward slash carry, that's C-A-R-E-Y, and get 20% off an annual or lifetime subscription. So, so excited to have Pat back on the podcast. Um, Pat is the founder of The Table Group, the author of 12 best-selling books, including The Five Dysfunctions of the Team, and my favorite, The Advantage, also The Motive, his last one, Don't Miss It. He's considered one of the nation's leading experts on leadership, teamwork, and organizational health, a highly sought-after speaker. And he's here today to talk about his newest model, The Six Types of Working Genius, which at some point is, I think, going to become a book. And you can take some action as a result of listening to this. Um, So we're going to talk all about that. And hey, you probably noticed that 2021 doesn't feel fundamentally different, really, than 2020. There's still a lot of problems, a lot of uncertainty, and that means the world is changing faster than ever. So I developed this new resource called the 30-Day Pivot. I would love for you to check out. Um, I hear from leaders every single day. Like you've heard me say, we have 80,000 emails that go out every morning, and we hear back from a lot of leaders who are like, they're full of decision fatigue, exhaustion, burnout. They can't get their team to buy in. And it's like, ah, I don't even know. And maybe you've noticed this as well. Have you noticed that like the annual planning retreat is kind of a thing of the past? It's like, how can you plan for a full year when you don't know what's going to happen? Well, that's where the 30-day pivot comes in. So it's a very simple course uh, that gives you a framework that I use on my own team. Actually, 2020 for us was a record year. And I say that very lightly and uh, hopefully very sensitively, but we were able to pivot. Uh, I lost a lot of speaking income and a lot of opportunity, but we pivoted quickly. And it went on to become a double-digit growth year across the boards for us in my company. And part of that, I I just shared that framework with you in the 30-day pivot. So if you want to simplify your decision-making, like you can do this framework in 60 minutes in a regular staff meeting. No offsite, no consultants. It's all done for you. We have aggressive pricing on it right now. So you can check out the30daypivot.com to start making progress in the next 30, 60 to 90 days. And it comes with a money-back guarantee. So just go to the30daypivot.com while you still can. And this episode is brought to you by the Dwell app. Dwell is an audio Bible app with a simple mission to help you get in the word and stay in the word. So it's January. It's like going back to the gym. Are you actually going to study the Bible this year? So uh, I know that disciplines really help me. And some of Dwell app's features include listening plans, playlists, Dwell mode. You can use it to meditate on scripture, memorize and pray. 
uh, and a brand new sleep timer so you don't drain your battery if you listen at night. You can get Dwell today by going to dwellapp.io forward slash carry and you'll get 20% off an annual or lifetime subscription. So that's dwellapp.io forward slash carry. So now it's time for my conversation with the one and only Pat Lencioni. Pat, welcome back to the podcast. It's so good to have you. It's, I can't believe it's been a year since you've been out here in my office. I know. We were together, I think it was last October or November. And yeah. um, I don't know when this is going to air, but it'll be not that far in the future. And uh, we had such a good time. It was great. It was great to be at the legendary table group and uh, to finally, well, we had met in person before, but to actually see someone on their home turf is a lot of fun. Every conversation you and I have, we just talk and talk and talk. It's fun. It's a We blast, do. So. And then we try to record for 10 minutes to make sure we capture some of it for the audience. So, uh, yes. And we're going to find out today just why we like to talk so much. It's gonna, it actually makes sense now. Well, it kind of does. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to give away the store, but like this is going to be a fun conversation. Um, I'd love to start because we're going to talk about working genius a lot because I'm really excited about it. And uh, I'm going to run my whole team through it. You ran me through it. And uh we're, we're going to see what there is to say about that. But we last talked publicly about six months ago. The pandemic had started and yep. you were just back into your office. And I'd just love to know, people can go back to that. They can go back to the conversation a year ago where you talked about your, your crash in leadership, which so many leaders found so helpful. But I'd love to know, what are the enduring changes you see now, you know, closing out 2020, uh, both in, you know, how people are approaching life, but also how businesses are approaching life. Like, how do you think we're going to be permanently different or do you think we will be? Well, I mean, I think there's some tactical differences. I think people are have learned that you can do things virtually that you didn't know you could do before. Right. Because, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And when you have to, you try things. And I've learned like, oh my gosh, I can do some things effectively virtually. I'm not going to get on as many planes. That's a very tactical thing. Now, there's no substitute for being together for certain things. Mm -hmm. But so this is going to change a lot in the world. I think the other thing, though, is when big, hard things happen, I think we've learned that fear is not our friend. And if you look at things and say, what are we going to do? Right when, the, right when this happened, we changed our business pretty drastically, and we launched two new programs that are the most exciting things we've ever done. We would not have done those had it not been for the pandemic. What are so, those two programs? Just out of curiosity. We have embraced um, 500 consultants around the world and created a network for them. We call it Kappa Pro, which stands for the Consulting and Practitioner Alliance. And we are like pouring into these people and getting great stories. We had no idea how many people in New Zealand and Zimbabwe and Turkey and Poland, as well as all over North America, we're using our stuff and now we know them and we're supporting them and we're helping them and we're, it's growing. People are joining all the time. So we love that. So we are more connected to all these consultants in the world than we ever have been. And we're so happy for that. Hmm. And then this whole idea that we're going to be talking about today, the working genius would not have happened had it not been for some of the frustration we felt during the pandemic or it's still going on, but in the middle of it. And so we said, let's do something about that. So Sometimes a challenge, most times a challenge provides an opportunity if you step back and look at it that way. And um, so the next big challenge in my life and in my company, I think I'll, I'll step back and say, what's God putting in front of me here hmm. that maybe, you know, his will is bigger than mine and I don't know exactly what he wants from me. So, 
One thing I love to bounce off you, because uh, I agree about the travel piece. And even when, you know, right now our border's still closed and so travel's difficult. But let's say the pandemic clears uh, and we can get back on in planes and things could go back to normal. One of the commitments I think I'm going to carry forward is less travel because some things can be done virtually. I feel like I'm a better husband. Uh, I actually like my house in my neighborhood. But here's something my team said. They said, Carrie, you're a better boss. And I said, why am I a better boss? And they said, you're a better boss because you're not taking our calls while trying to board a flight or navigate another time zone or while you're distracted, you're just more focused. Any thoughts on that about presence and proximity and leadership? So we've been leading all virtually, we're not together in the same room, but I thought that was a really interesting observation from my team. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I I think I have become a much better boss during this time, but we are back, we've been back to work now for four months. Right, you've been in person, but you're on the road less? Still? Oh, I'm I, I'm not on the road at all. Yeah, yeah. And so, yes, the 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 wear and tear of the road is a crusher, and and it it makes us less patient and makes us less present. But I think that during I think that what happened during the pandemic is that we all invested more time in getting to know one another and care about one mm. another's personal lives. I mean, look at I'm looking at you in your basement. Yeah, right? yeah. And I saw all of my colleagues with their kids crawling into their lap. And, and you know, what's interesting with the pandemic, we have one of the, one of the people in my office, her daughter is in fifth grade and she does school at our office every day. (laughs) And so we get to go in and see the sweet girl and talk to her. And we are so much more part of one another's lives than we were before. That will not go away after the pandemic is gone. We are committed to saying, why in the world would we pull back from one another's personal lives just because there's not a pandemic? So I think that's one of the things that's, I think we've become more human and I hope that stays. Mm. Well, that's kind of been your life's work, right? <laughs> Starting way yeah. back when you started writing is is to recognize the human side of leadership. So let's talk about that brand new initiative, um, the six types of working genius. So do you want to walk us through where the idea came from? I know you reached out so excited about it and then I took it and I'm like, oh, this is this is really good, really insightful. I'm so glad to hear that. You know, and this is right smack in the middle of what you said about the humanity at work. You know, I started my career because my dad, God rest his soul, was more frustrated than he should have been in working for the same company for 40 years. And I thought, that's crazy. Why is that? And one of the reasons why is because we don't know how to use the gifts God gave us. So this came about, though, by accident. Hmm. As I said, necessity is the mother of invention. And I, in the middle of the pandemic, we were, I was in a meeting upstairs where you and I met the first time. And I was on a Zoom call with like 500 priests, as it turns out. I was oh, like yeah. talking to all these priests. And then afterward, I did another Zoom call with the team that was serving. And I had to hold them accountable and I had to push them and all this. And then right after that, I turned to Amy, who was sitting next to me. And I said, hey, I, I have a new idea. Why don't we do this and this and this? And she turned to me and she said, why are you the way you are? What is it about you? And Amy and I worked together for 25 years. Uh-huh. She said, uh-huh. what, is, what goes on with you? And I said, I don't know, but I'm kind of frustrated. <laughs> I love some of what I do. I don't love some of the things I do. And I realized for the last 20 years, Carrie, yeah. I've been intermittently and moderately frustrated with things. And I didn't understand why, because I love my company. I love the people I work with, but I, I, I get frustrated. I didn't know why. So that led to a conversation with Amy. We walked across the street to our other building and I, I met with two other colleagues and, and over the course of the next couple hours, this model emerged on the board where we said, well, what is this? And why do I do this? Then somebody else does this and I do this and you do this. And, and, and 
suddenly we had on this whiteboard these six circles. Hmm. And we were like, wow, I, I, I think this is actually something. So I, I went home that night and I had a Zoom call with one of my consultants, Chris. And I said, hey, Chris, let me show you something. So I showed Chris the thing. And he said, wow, that's interesting. The next morning, 12, less than 12 hours later, Chris is working with one of his clients, the CEO of a company and his team. And the client is frustrated about what's going on on the team and about himself. And Chris goes, wait a second. And he drew the, the model from his memory on the board. And the CEO started crying. He, he wept. He was like, this is what's going on with me. This is the challenge I've been experiencing for all these years. Oh my gosh, this changes everything. And wow. so we're, I'm sharing it with my kids and their girlfriends and my neighbors and with CEOs and our family members and people are repeating it going, this makes so much sense. My, my son's girlfriend is studying to be a teacher and she wasn't sure like, I wonder why I'm doing this. And I did her type and I said, oh my gosh, you're doing it because of this and this. She goes, you're totally right. I'm studying mm. the right thing. Finally, confirmation that this is what I'm gifted at. So it just took off, Carrie, and we said, oh my gosh, I think this is real. And so we said, let's get it out as soon as we can to as many people because the relief and the liberation people feel when they realize I'm really talented naturally at some things and I'm really terrible at other things, I should probably take that into account if I want to be happy in, in my work. So that's, that's how it came about. And it's just been three months. That's amazing. So one of the things I'm sure people are thinking about, and you thought about this, because I mean, this is what you do. You do leadership consultation with top executives and church leaders yep. and the whole deal. There's so many assessments out there. I mean, I've got a file in Dropbox uh, and I've got, you know, the Enneagram assessment. I've got uh, strength finders. I've got, and I run everybody, like they go through a gauntlet of assessments before they join I love join them. Too. I'm a junkie. Yeah, yeah. So you totally are. And I mean, you teach this stuff. What makes this one different? So I think the key is this. This one is specifically about how you do work, how you get mm. things done. It's not just, it's not your personality necessarily. I love the Myers-Briggs and DISC and all those things. Yeah. But we would do the Myers-Briggs like, okay, you're an ENFP or an ISTJ. Well, what should we do? And how, what do you, and this is like, no, this is about how you go about contributing to work and on a team and in your life. And it's also ridiculously simple, practical, and fast. So people take- It is fast. It didn't take long. And they go, oh my gosh, now I realize why I've been successful. Now I realize why I've failed and why I should never do that anymore. Oh my gosh, I know why that guy should be doing some of this and I should be doing some of that instead. We reorganized my company after we did this. Really? Wow. So everyone got like I slightly different job descriptions or titles? We realize that a couple people in our company get this. We have a 22 year old who we just hired out of college, uh -huh. right? He has the genius of galvanizing, which, which is in here. Other people don't. And he's right out of college. And we said, your job is to kick everyone else's butt around this project because you're good at that. And he goes, yo, well, I love to do it. And he goes, but I'm only 22. We go, it doesn't matter. You have a genius in this. So people that were 20 years older than him were like, your job is to kick my butt to get my work done. He goes, I love kicking people's butt. <laughs> and, and again, because we, it's not about seniority or tenure or, or experience. It's about you have a genius. We're going to let you use that genius. I don't have that genius. Please do it for me. Right. 
Right. So anything else you want to say about the concept, the meta concept of working genius, Pat? Um, one thing I like about it is it's very affirming, right? So a little bit like strength finders in that, you know, there's something at the top, there's something at the bottom, but there is a genius in you. And if you're miscast or misfit, you'll never be able to use that. Right. You know, I think it's God-given. I really yeah. believe you're born mm. with these things. We, mm. we talked about that today. And I remember as a kid, I can look at this and go, my parents didn't know these were my geniuses and they were constantly raising me to do the things I hated, <laughs> <laughs> which had quite an impact on me. Wow. And, and so I think that's something I want to say. The other thing is we want this to be so applied. We can use this... And, my wife and I, in our, in our marriage, when we did this, we looked at it and we said, oh, okay, neither of us have this genius. We both are terrible at something and that causes a lot of friction. We need to get help with that. And so it's so great that we could very quickly see how it could change our family life because part of family is work. Oh yeah. And so I guess I would say it's natural, it's simple, and it's easy to apply quickly. Just out of curiosity, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. Can you give us the example of what was causing the friction in your marriage? Oh, just to make it oh, really yeah, practical. Yeah. Yeah. So so there's this one genius called the genius of tenacity. And mm. that is you just love to push things through and get things done and you stay on top of things. You want to make them finished and, and see the desired result. It's like a person with that genius, and it is a genius, they love finishing things and making sure things don't fall through the cracks. My wife and I, it's not only not our genius, it's our working frustration. We're both terrible oh, at it. Yeah. So we would always go, I thought you were going to do that. Oh, can't you do that? I don't want to do that. Do you want one day, Carrie, I came home from work and the power was out at my house. Uh-huh. And I said, I said, Hey, Laura, I think the neighborhood power went out. She goes, no, no, it didn't. I'm like, Oh, well, what's the deal? And she goes, yeah, we forgot to pay the utility bill. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, don't they send you warnings before they shut off the power? Yeah, I'd never opened those up. And so, but, but now many people are listening to this going, that would never happen to me. Right. I can't believe that. I certainly never thought my parents were mortified, but I was like, yep, that makes sense. Okay. How do we get things paid online? How do we get somebody to help us with this? Cause she and I share a common in capability of staying on top of things. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to stop doing that all together, but so much of what we need to do at home, we're bad at. Oh, isn't that interesting, you know, because I'm pretty um, OCD a little bit and uh, I hope I'm not telling tales out of school, but for Tony and I, I'm going to run my wife through this too. We did this massive renovation on our place two years ago. And the joke between us is we finished 95% of the work and there's always 5%. <laughs> like it looks great. You come into our house, it looks fantastic. But like there's a piece of art that needs to go on the dining room wall that we just haven't bothered to get. There's an area rug that's supposed to be in the living room and we're like, ah, oh, it looks fine without it. And it bothers me, but not enough to like, I'm going to take two Saturdays with Tony and pick this stuff out. And it's so weird. Is that part of tenacity? Maybe it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Because there's people that would go, that would drive me crazy and I'm just going to go get it done. Oh, I know. I know a bunch of people in my life who would be like, you need a plant here and you need this here and you need that there. I'm like, great, come do it. Like, that's fine. <laughs> so I, so as a, an author, think about this. I love to come up with new ideas and get started and write them in a yeah. certain, discern whether it works. But then my editor, Tracy, who's sitting here, she would go, Pat, the ending was terrible. And I'd be like, why? She goes, well, you just said, and then they died or 
And then it was over. She's like, no, I'm going to make you finish. I'm like, oh, I hate finishing. Oh, Pat, I just got like literally right before we started, I just got the almost final draft of my manuscript for my next book that comes out in 2021 back from my editor. And I'm like, this is not the fun part. Like I've already done, oh. I've, I've given birth to my ideas, somebody else, like, please just polish them up and make them market worthy. And here's the thing, Carrie, there's other people who would not want to do what we do, but right. they love the final part. True. True. Andy. Give it to me to polish. Give it to me to proofread. Give it to me. Like, can you believe there are proofreaders? Like, I know. Wow. And, and that's the thing. One of the, one of the most important parts of this model is it prevents us from one feeling unnecessarily guilty about the things that we're not good at. Mm. I grew up thinking I must be lazy and irresponsible that I don't, I don't like to finish things. Now that's not permission to never finish anything, but I needed to realize God gave me gifts and those just aren't two of them. And so many people feel guilty. Cody, who works with me, yeah. he and I are both the same Myers-Briggs type, but he is not, he does not have what's called the genius of invention. And he felt guilty. He's like, why are you good at invention, Pat? And I'm not. And he was actually going, do I watch too much TV? Do I do too much social media? My, I'm really, and then he took the test and was like, that's not my genius. Mm. And it allowed him to not feel guilty. Like, oh, you are, I'll celebrate your invention, but he's good at another thing. And I'm like, I'll celebrate what you're good at. And that's great. The other thing is it prevents us from judging one another. Yeah. Because so often we'll go, are, are you lazy or do you just not care? And it's like, no, I just don't have that genius. Exactly. It's like, did you run out of money on this reno? It's like, no, it's sitting in the account. I just don't actually want to go do it. Exactly. <laughs> so, so less judgment, less guilt. Uh -huh. People understanding each other and tapping into their skills more makes everybody more joyful and we get more work done in less time and we go home at night feeling better about it all. Okay. Do you want to, I don't know what order you want to take this in. Do you want to run us through the six geniuses or what's the best way to like introduce the specifics? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that because okay. I think it's interesting. So, and, and, and the first genius is one that most people don't even recognize as a genius at all. Okay. And, and what's amazing about this is I was with an executive team two days ago of a multi-billion dollar software company. So high-tech leaders, all very analytical kind of people. And none of the people on the team had this genius. And when I describe it to you, you can imagine that at first they were like, well, who needs to do that? And then they realized the fact that they didn't have it was causing huge problems at their company. It's called the genius of wonder. Hmm. The genius of wonder is the genius of being able to sit and ponder and notice things. What's missing? What could be better? Is there more potential here? Is this really the way things should be? There are people in life who love that. My wife is one of them. Amy, one of the co-founders, is one of them at my company. And they just sit and they think, wow, what's going on here? Could this be better? And they, 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 they ponder and they identify things that are missing or new opportunities. Now, they don't necessarily solve them. Right, but they see but them. they see them, exactly. <sighs> so the genius of wonder is very real and it's very important. This company I worked with, when I, when I said, you guys don't have anybody on your team with this genius, and most of them had it as a weakness, they said, you know something? The CFO said, we never ponder anything. Wow. We start working on something before we step back and sit with it and go, is this worth solving? Is this really the problem? We're just like, work, 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 get on stuff and, and start putting a schedule. 
And he and they all agreed we need to spend time together without a PowerPoint slide, without a spreadsheet, and just sit and and ponder things. Isn't that interesting? So, like, uh, can you think? Would Steve Jobs, from what you know of him, would he have had the gift of wonder to like, in, or is that more something else invention? Well, I don't know. Because it, the question is, was there people around him like that? I actually got to interview with Steve Jobs once. He offered me a job to run HR at Pixar. And I remember was, that. Tell the story. Tell the story. Yeah, this is great. But, and I say this because I think he probably, he may have had some wonder. It probably wasn't a weakness because he told me once, I can't believe I'm going to say this. He said, Pixar is more important than Apple. Really? He said that? He said that. And he said, and the most important thing at Pixar is the story, not the animation. Hmm. He said the stories that we're developing and getting out into the world will live for a long time and they impact people's lives. Technology is a tool. And that's the kind of comment of somebody who's pretty comfortable in wonder, I think. Yeah, I would, I would say because to, I would, he definitely had invention because he was always thinking, I've read the Isaacson biography and everything like that. But yeah, for someone to be like a co-founder in Pixar, I think he was a co-founder, and, and to be comfortable with the story, like there was so much art and so much philosophy and he studied calligraphy and right. it had to be beautiful. And, uh, you know, so that would be examples if that's an accurate assessment of what wonder would bring to the table. Right. You know what I should say before we go further, yeah, yeah. Carrie? Is, so every one of these six types, everyone has two that are what we call their working genius. They're natural God-given gifts. They're good at them and they get energy and joy from them. Right. Okay. Two of them are what we call working frustrations, which are things that rob them of their, their joy and energy, and they're naturally probably not good at them. But there's two in the middle, which we call working competencies, that you might be pretty good at, maybe even very good at, but not because you love it. You've just learned to do it or you can. Hmm. And so it's not a black or white thing, like I love it or I hate it. So, and it, it's quite possible, like for me, wonder is not one of my working geniuses but it's a competency. I can do it for a while, Yeah, but I move out of it pretty quickly. Now, see, here's the thing. People have to have the genius of wonder, but the next genius has to work with that person. The next genius is the genius of invention. Mm -hmm. They say, wow, that's an interesting problem you're pointing out. Oh, please let me try to solve it. Let me come up with something novel and creative. Let me invent a solution or an idea. And this is something that you and I share. In fact, you have a perfect score in this. Oh, wow. We we get energy and, and we get excited when we have to come up with a new way to do things. Hmm. And, and sometimes people will say, well, these are the true geniuses. No, everyone has genius. This is just the invention part of it. It's not even the whole of ideation, right? But it's, it's just the beginning. It's so just we love beginning. to start stuff. We love exactly. to launch things. We love starting the book more than we love the proofreading. We, <laughs> we love creating an idea more than we love shipping it. You know what? The funny thing is, you know what the next genius is after invention, though, is one we need desperately. Now, both you and I like it. We like this one, too. These are our two areas because you and I are the same. Right. right. Is, we have, uh, you told me this before we started. We have the identical profile. Exactly. Which is rare. The next type the next genius is the genius of discernment because like in some people invent things that are not good or not particularly workable. They just love to invent. The genius of discernment is the person who looks at that idea and using their intuition and their instincts and their dis discernment, they are like, 
oh, wait, I've seen something like, this is a great idea. Mm. Or, oh, no, 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 no. This could be a disaster. Or, ooh, right. let me help you tweak some of this. Let me give you some feedback and I'll send you back to the drawing board. The genius of discernment is one of the things that people don't even understand as a genius is that curation and they're good at assessing and judging things, not in a linear data oriented way. Mm-hmm. They, they look at things, integrative thinking, they see patterns. Yes. And so given what you do here, you have a fantastic podcast. Invention and discernment makes sense. You love to curate things for people. You love to look at what's going on in the world and say, ooh, that is neat and relevant and people want to hear about that. So these are your two geniuses. Yep. Invention. So that's you and me. In invention and, discern- and discernment. But after somebody discerns something, after a, a team has said, we've discerned this, we've gone back and forth. Now we need the genius of galvanizing the fourth one. This is the person who says, oh my gosh, if this is worth doing, we got to get everybody in a room and get them excited. Right. We've got to organize people to move. We've got to recruit people and inspire people and, and, and push people to sign up. We've mm-hmm. got to get people to enlist in this campaign. And that is a, a distinct genius. Some people love to do that. Most of the people around me in my life hate doing that. <laughs> and this is what led to the model because that galvanizing isn't my favorite thing to do in the world, but I'm pretty good at it. Yep. Because all three of the people that really were kind of helping me run the company here at the table group and my wife at home, galvanizing is one of their working frustrations. Mm. So I was always the one they'd turn to and say, you do it. Well, pretty soon I was doing nothing but galvanizing. It was draining me eventually of my passion and I wasn't doing near enough of the things I, I loved. I think that's a really important thing. And I just want to put a pin in this Pat and tell me if I got it wrong, but when I read the material you sent me and I looked at my own assessment, I think your two key strengths are things that give you energy. Like if you had to spend the whole day uh, in the area of invention and discernment, you go home and you tell Laura, I had a fantastic day, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I worked really hard, but it's a good tired and like maybe I worked too long. I lost track of time. And at the (laughs) bottom, you know, for you and me, it's tenacity and enablement. And you're like, I'm going to quit. I'm going to like, I had to do that all day. Like, I'm, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Is that what happens? They give you energy or suck energy? That is exactly right. And that's not to say that everybody doesn't have to occasionally do something that's in their working frustration, but you have to know, first of all, I don't like this. I'm not good at it. This is a very temporary thing. Everybody here around me, you know that this isn't something I'm great at. I will gut through this, but please don't make me do it too much or you will kill me. The team will suffer and we're going to lose the good parts. Oh, so we got to talk when we're done. It. I got a whole section of my next book on things that give you energy and drain energy. And you've just put labels on it. So you know what we like to say? It's like if you have a coffee cup yeah. and you pour hot coffee into it and put a lid on it, it retains its heat, its energy, and it stays there for quite a long time. Right. That's your working genius. Ah. If you take a cup and you pour coffee into it, but you don't put a lid on it, it'll hold its heat for a while. Eventually it dissipates. You leave it outside long enough, it will actually evaporate. Your working frustration, you pour the coffee in and there's a hole in the bottom of the cup and it just disappears. (laughs) Five minutes into your workday, you're like, oh gosh, I was a bank teller in college. The worst job in the world for me. (laughs) 
I would go to work and I'd look at the clock and I'd get there at 830 and I'd go, it's 845. Okay. It feels like I've been here for three hours. Mm-hmm. And that's because the tasks I was doing were exactly what I hated. Yeah. And if we don't know what those things are, we can't pursue the right job, adjust our responsibilities, tell our manager and our teammates what, we're, what, we, what we can do to do better and help other people fill the gaps in. We have to understand the God-given geniuses, competencies, and frustrations we have. So here's two ENFPs working through a list of six, and we've gotten to four or five, so we should continue. Four, uh, yes. what, what's, what's next, Pat? Well, now we're, we get in. These are the last two sequentially, and they're our lowest two. And the, the next one is, so the galvanizer galvanizes people and says, okay, everybody, we need to do something. He needs, or she needs someone with the, with the genius of, and this is one that people don't recognize as a genius. And it's a huge genius. They need someone with the genius of enablement. Mm. Now enablement people, is that like enabling an alcoholic or something? It's like, <laughs> no, no. Enabling things to happen because they come alongside and say, I understand the appeal you're making. I will help. I will make myself available. I will give you the service, the support, the assistance you need, and I'll do it on the terms you need. Okay. I, and, and boy, if you don't have people, I've worked with organizations recently that nobody had enablement. Okay. So nobody was coming alongside and saying, okay, I will take a role in making this happen. They were like, no, I wanted to be the one that invented it, or I wanted to be the one to decide this, or I want to be the one to I'm wonder. on it's my like, project. Leave me alone. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And the genius of enablement is to come alongside and say, I will make this get off the ground for you. Hmm. Okay. And that's, and, and they're responding to the human need of others. So it's a form of like helps. I have the gift of helps. I don't have to be in charge. I'm just, I'm there to assist you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to enable this and we're going to get this done together. And there are CEOs that have the genius of enablement and there are preschool teachers that don't, mm. you know? It's, it's like, we can't think that it's like, a lot of people will say, well, that's not a genius. I'm just a pushover. It's like, no, 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 no. Carrie, you and I, if somebody comes to us and says, I just need your help. This is what I need. You know what you and I do? We go, wait a second. I think you probably need something else. <laughs> Let me think about this and invent actually what you really need. And they're like, no, please quit. Just help me. Wait, you could do this better. Okay. What if you organized it this way? Exactly. So now with this language, my wife can say, hey, Pat, I don't need your eye right now. Uh -huh. I just need you to do this. When, when I show up to help someone move, it's like, can we reorganize the truck? <laughs> exactly. In fact, that's so funny you said that because I use that as an example. Somebody says, hey, will you help me move? And I'm like, well, wait a second. What's the value of my time worth? What would it cost to get a mover? No. Hell, I'd rather give you, I'd rather give you $150 to hire a mover and you and I can go have a beer. And we'll talk about something really important, you know, <laughs> so much better. Yeah. So, so the point here is it's a genius to be able to set aside your desires to help somebody. Uh -huh. And not everybody is good at doing that. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. And then the, the last one, see, cause the genius of enablement is really, I love to help others. Right. The genius of tenacity is I love to finish. Even if I'm not helping a person, I want to see that the project got done, that the books got closed, that the results were made, and that the, the carpet got put in place, that we hung the painting on the wall, and that everything went according to plan, and it's finished. And there are people in the world who get so much satisfaction out of doing that. Mm. And you and I, 
celebrate them because we are so glad that they're like that. Yeah. And then they celebrate that we came up with an idea that they could actually finish. But, but if we judge them and go, well, you're not very inventive. And they're like, well, you're lazy and you don't finish anything. You're, you're a flake and you're not invent. It's like, no, no, God gave us all unique gifts and we should celebrate one another's gifts and tap into them. And you need a team. And you know what? I can just imagine, like my whole team hasn't done this yet, but we're going to do it. And uh, I can't wait because there's a couple of names that are coming as you're working through these categories. Like these are the team members who are pinging me going, did you get that podcast intro extra finished yet? It's like, no, not quite, but I will. Uh, did you did you finish that video for the online summit? I'm like, I'm working on it, man. Like all this stuff came in and some stuff changed at the last minute. And they're like, push, 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 push. And sometimes there's something inside me, Pat, and 35-year-old me would have been like, shut up and let me do this. And 55-year-old me is like, this is a gift. Just receive it as a gift. Exactly. And you can say, hey, you guys, okay, I need to do that. You know, I'm not good at tea, but I have to force myself. Today is going to be a tea day. And just saying that right. gives you permission to go, this is not natural for me, but I know I have to do it. It's temporary. And they're acknowledging, thank you for doing something that you're not great at, but we need you to do it. And suddenly, otherwise you're like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I used to come to work and go, I'm so tired of pushing. Why do I have to push you guys? And it's like, now we realize because they don't have G and I do. Mm. You know what we did? We found two people in my organization that had G and we put them in charge of a few projects and we are all so much happier. <laughs> wow. And that's that 22 year old who's got the galvanizing strength. Yeah. Hey, you know something else? What? So we hired that 22 year old and another 22 year old, my son, and we hired them. Six months ago, we made an offer to them or seven months ago, and they were great fits for our culture. Okay. But before they came on board, we came up with this model and we were like, wow, we don't really know their gifts. So we had them take this. We put them on projects specifically to use their gifts. Had we assigned them the opposite, which so often we do in companies like, well, yep. welcome aboard. You well, can work this on this. This is your job description. So therefore you, yeah. We completely organize what they were going to work on based on their gifts. They are thriving. They're having so much fun. And I can tell you this, Carrie, had we reversed it, they would be frustrated. Mm. And so staffing based on people's gifts makes so much sense on a human level and on an organizational level. Wow. Yeah. And you know, I can see that that would help with onboarding too, because you get some quick wins under your belt. And it would probably help with employee retention and turnover because you're not constantly banging your head against a wall if you're willing to, to act on this. Yeah. Hey, so, you know, I know you have a lot of people in churches that listen. Yeah, we do. Think, think about the fact that in, when people say I'm a pastor, which can be a youth pastor, it can be an executive pastor, it can be a teaching pastor. One is not the same as the next. So mm. we did this model with a bunch of pastors. And get this. This is awesome. Yeah. They, the team did it and they said to the priest, the pastor, they said, you don't have any wonder or invention, Father. No wonder your homilies are not very good. Wow. And he said, you're totally right, you guys. I don't go, I can't go into my office and think, wow, what's going on and what do people need to hear? Oh, I have an idea. He was not an inventive, pondering kind of person. And they, they lovingly said, Father, that's probably why it's really hard for you to make your talks better. Mm. And he said, hey, can you guys that are better at wonder and invention help me? Up until that point, they thought telling him that his homilies weren't good was essentially telling him he was a bad pastor. 
Now they had reason. And he was actually like, please don't make me sit in a room by myself and come up with something out of nothing. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. It probably also explains one of the questions I get a lot. I don't know. How many books is this? You're going to write a book on this. Is this number what for you? You've think, written a lot. I think it's 12. I know. That's a lot of I books. Should, I should know. I mean, if I had 12 kids, I hope I wouldn't go. I don't know if I have 11 or 13, <laughs> but I need to go count. I guess they all, they're a different kind of books. So anyway. <laughs> But, you know, a dozen books and people are like, there are people listening who are like, where do you, I don't have an idea for one. But w- one of the questions I get is where does all your content come from? I think this helps explain it, I guess, doesn't it? Invention, discernment, and wonder is my number four. Ab- yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't even thought of that. When I first wrote my first two books, mm-hmm. I was like, I might be done. Yeah. Because I'm determined never to write a book just to write a book. Right. But then I'd be at a client and I'd be like, I'd be sitting there in a meeting pondering and going, oh crap, I think that would solve this problem. And then I'd go call Tracy and go, Tracy, I think I have a book in me. And then she'd help me discern it. We'd discern it together. And then it's like, okay, what are we going to do? So you're right. Those wow. are the things. And I that's do. where my content comes from. It's connecting with people or connecting the dots where I'm thinking about something and I'm like, oh, well, that's what this guy's frustrated. And that's what's wrong with this person. Or I go to a client, I go do a talk and I see all the things that are wrong and it frustrates me and I pull up my laptop and I write it down and I just capture it in my file and then it comes out as a blog post or a chapter in a book later on. Yeah, isn't that and, and funny? We, and that is, God wired us that way and that we're at our best when we're doing that. Yeah. And it's okay for people to go, hey, Carrie, you're great at that, but you know, this dinner party's about to start and I don't need your eye right now. Right. Can you, can you just G people to get to the table or can you just <laughs> exactly. T and set that, you know what I mean? And, and my wife and I use this now, she'll come to me now and say, I need your G or yeah, I need your D, mm-hmm. you know, and say, I need you to G the kids around this thing. That's brilliant. So part of the, the secret mission, the personal selfish mission of this podcast is to get free therapy, free counseling and free consulting. So <laughs> you've got those who are watching on YouTube uh, can see you've got my assessment in your hand. Can you give me the uh, five-minute consult on things that are right and wrong with Carrie? Uh, I would love that. What's what's frustrating? What's good? What's a good job description for me? Like, how would you do this? Run me through a, uh, a quick consult. Yeah, like a, a miserable job for you would be one where you had to wait for people to ask you to do things and then respond to specifically what they wanted you to do and make sure it got finished and go oh, yeah. off and just do it. Oh, that would be, that's the a worst. That's, that was a bank teller for me. Wow. Um, a great job for you is the one you have where you get to look around you, think about new things, evaluate things, curate them, test them, use your gut and not have to use data and go, I think I, I think I know what we should do. Mm. Yeah, the, you're yeah. right. I'm not a data guy. I work with data people, but I'm more like, this is my gut. Right. And that's, that's, and that's you too. So run them through an order. And then just so people have a sense who, who are, who are listening, the vast majority will be listening. You run through the six years through, through mine, how they come down okay. top and bottom. You're, you're two and you're very strong in invention and discernment. You like to come up with new ideas and you like to evaluate situations and ideas and what's going on in the world around you. Okay. You are, you, you can galvanize people to take action and step back and wonder, but you would, prefer to jump into invention and discernment, but you can do those things. You're not terrible at those. The things that you don't like to do is just, is just execute and respond to the needs of others on their terms. And again, you're a Christian. So we feel guilty about that. I know. 
I feel guilty about I the feel fact guilty that about I, it, Pat. Right. And there's pastors out there that aren't enablers. They're, mm-hmm. they're not good at enablement. And they're like, I'm a bad person. I should, every time a, a parishioner or somebody in the congregation sends me an email, I should respond to them and I should give them what they want. And it's like, first of all, that will kill you. Mm-hmm. Secondly, it's not necessarily good for them. Third, you are going to be looking for another job soon because you're going to hate it. Yeah. yeah. So these are, you know, I don't know if I said this before, but we got to stop feeling guilty for, for the gifts God gave us. Hmm. And just because we don't do some of these, it doesn't mean we're lazy or we're mean. Well, it means we need to lean into the things he gave us. And then when we have to do the things that we don't like, we can offer that one up. And theologically, you know this, Pat, it's the body of Christ, right? So that when yes. every part of the body does its work, the whole body thrives. And some are teachers, some are prophets. Hey, do you remember that? Do you remember when Paul said, no, it wasn't Paul. I don't think, was it? Uh, you, you'll tell me this, but it was like, nobody was taking care of the widows and the orphans. Mm. Yeah, and that's they an said, act. Oh. Yeah. Right. And it was like, we need you guys to do that. You know what I was thinking? Oh, please don't pick me. <laughs> and I feel guilty for that because, but that's very much of a, please just do what they need. And I'm like, oh, please, can't you put me in charge of like, coming up with a new idea or picking which town we're going to go to and how yep. we're going to get Ephesus on, on board or Galatia or whatever else. It's like, no, I want you making sure that the widows and the orphans have food. First of all, they would be get bad food if I was in charge of that. Secondly, mm-hmm. I'd wake up every day and go, oh no. Thirdly, they wouldn't have my talent being used in the things I do. God gave us those talents for a reason. We shouldn't feel guilty. So we're better at coming up with ideas, designing systems, launching things, entrepreneurial, because you and I have the identical profile. So that's sort of our sweet spot. Let me run through a real world scenario. So for a lot of the leaders listening, Pat, and you know this, and this is true in the business space, it's especially true in the church space. And I'm thinking back on my 25 years in leadership. Um, One of our jobs is to raise volunteers and to raise money, right? Like you got to keep, you got to keep the bank account in the black. That's a lot of galvanizing. Yeah, it's a lot of galvanizing. And I was known as being good for it, but secretly on the inside, because you can see it's just a little bit underneath my top two. I was like, all right, I'm going to do it, but please tell me when this ends. And then please go recruit some more people so that I don't have to do this again for another year. Would that be typical if that's not your strength? Yeah. Hey, you know, totally, Carrie. I just thought of something and I'll put a plug in for them. There's this wonderful organization. You probably know them called Homes Homes of Hope. I actually don't um, know. Oh, Sean Lambert is, it started with him and his wife and his daughter and they they, they live in San Diego and Mm -hmm. they- they realized there were a lot of poor people in Tijuana and they went down there and they started this amazing organization. They call it the gateway drug of, of missionary trips. So it's this, they take a company, my company's done it twice. You fly to San Diego, they take you down to this compound they built, which is, which is not quite like a hotel, but it's very nice. And then they take you out and in two days you build a home for a family. Mm. And, and two, they, they, they provide all the instruction. You, you bring a little bit of money and you bring your, your people and you build a home in two days and it's done and they get the keys. It's amazing. But I'm going to tell you something, the idea of going there and sitting and they go, okay, first sit down for two hours. We're going to explain to you how you're going to do it. Then you're going to get your instructions and then you're going to execute against those instructions. I'm walking around that work site going, can't I just talk to the family? Can't I walk around the neighborhood and find out how we can help these people? Because responding to detailed instructions and having to execute against those crushes me. And I feel like 
what a loser I am. I can't even help these people, but, but it isn't my thing. And no. so I don't get excited. But if you said, Pat, go into that town, round up all the people and listen to them and come up with a, an idea that's going to change their lives. I could do that all day. Totally. Totally. Okay. This is so good. So this is the area of working genius. And I imagine if galvanizing was my top strength, I would say, give me that challenge all day long. Like you need another exactly. hundred volunteers. I'll go get you a hundred volunteers. You need more totally. money. I'll go get you more money. I, like I'll, I'll do dinners and breakfasts until we hit that goal. And then I hope you throw me another goal. Is that sort of what we're talking Absolutely. about? Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, there's people, there's people that came with us on our trip to build homes that were like, oh man, I love this stuff. Cause they tell me exactly what I need to do. I don't have to come up with it on my own. I have very clear boundaries and I can just crank. And at the end of the day, it's finished. And I see that everything's done according to spec. And I hand the keys to those people. And we have enabled and tenacity oriented, got this done. And God bless them. So people are going to go through this assessment. We'll tell people how they can do it. And uh, you got a special offer for listeners too. So thank you in advance. But they're going to realize, Pat, I'm in the wrong job. Like, oh my goodness. Like, I, I want to be told what to do. And they gave me this creative role. Or... I don't want to be told what to do. And they just sit there and they boss me around all day long. Or I've got to come up with ideas. I can't come up with ideas. I'm not good at judging whether something's going to work or fail. And that's my job. And, you know, exactly. and I'm like, what do I do? Do I quit? Do I, do I go to my boss? Like, what would you say to somebody who would, like, I'm in, I guess, my ideal job. I just start things and create things. That's what I do. Yes. Right? That's what you've done your whole life. You Well, once you started the table group, you start things, create things. And, you know, for us, the fun thing about podcasting for me is, Every, every week's a new episode. So it's like oh. I started something brand new. Every book's like a new venture, right? It's a new chapter in the company. So it's the thing that keeps inventing itself. And my favorite part of, of leading a church, well, we went through like five different buildings and multiple iterations. And every week was a new sermon. And when I got tired of that sermon, it was time for a new series. And, <laughs> you know, it was always new, 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 new. So that that's totally consistent with my personality, right? Right. So you and I have dream jobs, even though they have hard times. What about the people who don't, who are like, I'm in the wrong role? What's your advice? Well, I think the first thing is go to the person, the people you work with hmm. and say, and share it with them and go, Hey, can you look at this? This is what it says I'm great at. And I get energy from, and this is what I don't and say, can you, can you help me with this? Hmm. Now in some organizations, we're a small organization and we shifted everything because of this. Yeah. So people think, well, if you're a small company, you don't have a thousand jobs. No, even then a manager, if they care, they're going to go like, well, maybe you could do some of these other things that I'm not good at. So share it with people acknowledge what your geniuses are and what your frustrations are and the stuff in the middle and, and put it out there, be vulnerable enough to say, how can we make me do this? And hmm. maybe a leader will go, you know something, Pat, I don't think we have any of that kind of work here, but let me help you. Now that I know that, let me help you find that next thing. Hmm. Because then you can let somebody move on without bitterness and without rejection it's like, I'm actually going to help you find a job that makes you really excited. Hmm. So, and, and if you're that person, don't try to hold on to a job that's, that's making you live in your frustration. But most managers will be so glad to see this and they're going to go, okay, let's change this. Can you give us a couple of the case studies or examples of how, because table groups, what, are you about a dozen, 15 employees? Yeah, we're, yeah, we're anywhere from a dozen to 15, depending on what's going on and what contractors are around. And then we have 
30, 35, 40 consultants around the world that aren't part of the, the right. corporation, but they're like, they're cousins, they're friends. But at the table group, those are the people who show up there. So you yeah. got you got a, a small to mid-sized staff and I'm yes. about eight, I guess, fully staffed eight to 10. Um, so let's just, let's just talk about that. And that's most of our, most business is small business, right? For the yep. reality. Plenty of churches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, would have, have that or fewer. So let's talk about what, what you did. Give us a couple of case studies. Okay, so we looked at this and we said, okay, Amy, Tracy, and Karen are kind of the founders with me. They've been around for the longest period of time. We did this. All of them had G in the, in the, at the bottom, galvanizing. Okay. So, so getting people to do things that they might not naturally want to do was like death for them. <laughs> they would rather just go do it. Right. Ah, so they won't persuade. It's like, I'll just, I'll just take care yeah. of it. Just so, so we would, a new project would come up and I would get depressed and they go, why are you depressed? I go, cause I'm going to have to galvanize this. I'm going to have to push this over then. And so they, we said, okay, what about Cody? Cody has G. Oh my gosh. He has G. That's awesome. Chris, he has G too. Hey, this, this new guy, Liam, he's 22, but he's got G. Okay. Let's actually get, make their jobs about getting everybody else to be on board and to keep things moving. Hmm. I, even though I'm the founder, I am actually, I love to sit back and watch them G things. It doesn't feel like a threat to me at all. In fact, it's a dear gift to me. So we organize them differently, right? Then we recognize, you know, Tracy is high in D. She's my editor. So right. I invent something, she Ds it, but then she E's also. So here's another thing we did. Amy, who's a co-founder, she does E too much. Ah, she enables, she helps. She like, yeah. what, what do you need and, me to do? And we're, I'll go to her and I'll go, hey, what do you think of this? She'll go, okay, I'll go do that. And I go, no, 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 I don't want your E. And we're telling her, we want you to kill your E more. Of the, you're one of the leaders of the company. And when you E us, you're not Dean for us. Can I give a, a real life example of that? Because Amy Please. was first in the room setting up this podcast and she's the first one on the screen. And I'm like, hey, Amy. And she's like, hey. And she goes, listen, I'm setting up this mic for Pat, but I'm not very good at it. And I'm like, that's classic E, isn't it? And like a loyal, I will do it. I don't know. I'm not a tech person. We were just talking about an employee we have that we're trying to, to school up in some things. And I said, Amy, I want you to go sit with her. And Amy said, yeah, yesterday I did that. So what I did is I called my friend and I had my friend do this. And Amy actually solved her problem. And I said, no, no, Amy, I want you to get her to do, teach her how to do that. And Amy was like, I just do it for people. And so we, we say less E, more D, help us figure it out, but don't necessarily agree with everything. Because that's where it's value to the company. When she sits down and helps you assess your ideas, she's the chamber of sober second thought. She goes, I don't think the chapter needs to go this way. Or what if you redid these slides? That's where she's going to bring more value to the table. Absolutely. Hey, get this. I have my son here. I love my son. Yeah, yeah. He's, and, and, and him working here is one of the, the, one of the gifts in my life right now. I just love it. But I, we did this and I, and I, I knew his Myers-Briggs type. I knew his disc type and all this right. other stuff. But when he did this, cause he works here, I realized he has D and E, but not T. He will do anything for you if you ask him and he knows people are counting on him. But if we were to leave him alone and just say, finish it just for the sake of finishing it. And nobody was actually paying attention to it. He loses his mojo. And you raised him and that's news. Isn't that totally. interesting? Wow. Absolutely. And I'm like, oh, 
So we need to constantly G him and go, Hey Matt, you're mm. doing a great job. Here's what we need. And if you keep, and he's like, he'll do anything. But if I were to just say, Hey, go away for the next two weeks and finish this, his productivity would go way down. His morale would go way down. And at the end of it, we'd go, why didn't you do more of it? And he'd go, Oh, I don't know. I guess I got distracted and I would get frustrated mm. with him. He would feel bad. It's like, Oh no, he's a DE. I'm going to manage him like a DE because I love him. This is so rich. So, uh, you know, my son works with me too. Man, there's a lot of parallels. And uh, I'm guessing what his types are, but it'll be interesting. I think galvanizing would be fairly high for him, uh, ah. which is kind of fun because he's the guy always like, do you get that done? Do you get this moving? Let's move. Let's move. That's awesome. You know something? We designed this tool and priced it to be inexpensive and fast. Mm. We think that a person should... Um, a mom should be able to buy this for her kids mm. and say, this is going to help you in your job. Or, a, or a, a leader of a small business can very easily say, hey, everybody take this and we're going to debrief it. And 45 minutes from now, there'll be light bulbs going off all over the organization. Okay. And that's what we wanted. We didn't want this to be like, oh my gosh, I need a, a master's degree in psychotherapy to be able to use this. So I got a couple of questions left, but why don't we give the link and uh, you guys have a code or something like that that listeners yes. can use? Yeah, if you go to working genius, there's two G's in there, workingandgenius.com and then enter the code C-A-R-E-Y, carry capital letters, it'll be 50% off. So it's like 12 oh, bucks. That's a gift. So 12 bucks, like my goodness, you run your whole team through it. That's awesome. Yeah. Pat, well, thank it's you. 12 bucks for every person to do it. And it's like, you know, 12 bucks for, to do it. And then it, it gives this report that has videos in it, has a description of the models and how to think through it. So um, that's how to use it. Well, thank you. So how does this, because I've got that whole stack of assessments for my team uh, yep. that I've got. Any thoughts on how it works with like Myers-Briggs or Strength Finders or Right Path or the Enneagram or any of those other assessments that leaders may have run people through? You know, I'm sure. And, and every once in a while we'll go, oh, I think that might be because you're a J and that corresponds mm -hmm. to this. But for every correspondence, there's also a difference. Yeah, yeah. As I said before, Cody and I are the same Myers-Briggs type, but we had different geniuses. So I think that there's some interesting connections but this, because it's focused on how to get things done, I think it's unique. Right. So we haven't found like all ENTJs have this. And we yeah. expected that, but it's just not the case. So I'm curious because Cody uh, has been your podcast manager, among other things, and I think does a lot of content. So was this something, was a temporary reassignment or do you have someone else doing your podcast now? How does that work? Oh, no, he still does that. But we have Tracy as our producer who holds us accountable for actually preparing and getting it done on time. Because uh, Cody and I would procrastinate because I would be IDing and he would be DGing, but nobody would actually be finishing. And Tracy would, would say to us, okay, we need to schedule this much time to prepare. We need to know what the topic is. We need to rehearse it a little bit before we go and do it. Hmm. Okay, so it's almost like a reassignment of roles and responsibilities. You're going to get some good project managers out of this. Uh, yep. you're probably going to get some doers out of this. You're going to get some more people in the, um, dream sessions and the whiteboard sessions. So maybe there's somebody who's got an admin role, but he or she would be perfect in the whiteboard sessions. They've never been invited there because you just didn't realize that they were great at uh, innovation or discernment. Yeah. I think we have two admin people in our company. One is really good at D. 
So mm. she has really good, like, I think this is worth our time. That's not, this is worth. So we have given her a different role when she, her job is, to, she's so happy mm. because she gets to actually decide how to apply her admin role rather than us telling her what to do. We're like, scan the horizon and you figure out where to spend your time. We have another person in admin role who's an ET. And when we say, just figure it out, she's, she wilts. Mm. And we were trying to manage them the same way because they were both in administrative roles. Right. And, and it wasn't working. And we were like, why don't you care more? Why don't you listen more? And it's like, <laughs> can I have more in, say so in how I do this? And the other one was like, I don't want as much say so. I want you to narrow it for me so I know exactly what you want me to do. Uh, okay, I got to ask you this, Pat. You've already hinted at this, but I wonder if there's a little more. Um, this has changed you too. It, a lot of light bulbs went on. Yes. How are you different having lived in this ecosystem now for uh, a few months than you were before you realized what your working geniuses were? I know how to describe my frustration now. Mm. And I know how to say, this is what's causing me frustration. I need other people to do. I can call people out to help me and know specifically what I need their help at. Whereas before I, I often was just frustrated. And I didn't know, they didn't know how to help me. Right. So we have, we have language around that. I also am not feeling as guilty for not being good at tenacity and engagement. And I can go back and realize in my childhood, I have OCD. Mm. And I think one of the reasons why is because I spent the first 19 years of my life proving to the world that I was great at the two things that I hated. Obey your coaches, your teachers, do every assignment as they say, and finish on time, do it early, get straight A's, and never let anybody down. Those are my two working frustrations, and I lived completely within those for 19 years. My goodness. Boy, that could be a whole other interview. That's a couple of counseling sessions right there, Pat. Like oh, man. Oh man. Wow. And think about it. And at home I would be like, Hey, I have an idea. Or, hey, let me evaluate this. They're like, be quiet. Just go do your stuff. They didn't know. They thought, well, we got to teach this kid. We're not, we don't have a lot of money. So you better be like this. And I never got encouraged or even invited to do the things I love to do. They didn't know any better, but it was pretty crushing. Were, were you the fidgety kid at school? Oh my gosh. I was, but you know something? I powered through it. Hmm. I never missed a class in college. You know, I should have been blowing off every crappy class. I should have been like, okay, I'm discerning the fact that nothing from this class is ever on the tests. This doesn't really make any difference. I'm not going to miss anything. I'm going to go do something fun or something more interesting. That's what a person like you and I should do. Mm. I was sitting in the front of the class, taking notes, recopying my notes, cleaning my room and organizing everything out of absolute fear because I was thought I was supposed to be the enablement and tenacity guy. Isn't that interesting? Wow. I mean, hey, maybe this is seeds for our next conversation. So for me, in college, it wasn't fair because I was doing some of that discerning and I would skip classes I didn't think were important. Good I would, for you. I, <laughs> but I felt guilty about it. I'd be like- but you, And you shouldn't have. You should have said, hey, wow. I can actually not waste time uh -huh. because I see the interconnection and this doesn't matter. Yeah. And I would get straight A's like an undergrad and I would just make stuff up and it would be like, well, I think this will work and it's probably good enough. But I always felt like 
uh, I didn't I didn't work hard enough at it. I just didn't try hard enough at it. Now, law school kicked my butt. You go to law school. I still remember it. You went law. to law school? Oh, yeah. I'm a lawyer by training. Oh, my that kicked God. my butt. I didn't butt. realize that. No more faking, Pat. Yeah, yeah. I'm a lawyer by training and did that for five years. Worked for a year in downtown Toronto. Got called to the bar and then went into seminary. Uh, but I'll tell you, admin law first year, the guy who wrote the textbook for the country, uh, was my prof. And like, I remember the final exam, it was 73 pages of single spaced handwritten notes. Oh and my, you must've been dying. I was dying. Like, just like, and I, and you know what, here's what I thought. I'm never going to practice admin law. This is going to be complete. And then tax law, like, ugh, you know, stab me. <laughs> I'm going to have an accountant at some point. But constitutional, so think about this, law school, That's constitutional right. law, the literalists are going to hate this, but you're making stuff up. Like that's what constitutional law is. You're interpreting this. Uh, the history of law, very interesting to me. Contra, and I, I gravitated toward litigation. So I met my wife in law school. She's a lawyer too. She's more, it'll be interesting what she is. She was more the solicitor side, they would say in England or in Canada, you know, the contracts, the details. Uh, she oh. looks at all of my legal agreements. I'm like, that's ah, not worth the paper it's written on. And if it is, I'll just go to court and argue my case. And, you know, so I was really <laughs> drawn to the imaginative. And now that's no surprise anymore. Exactly. Fascinating, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah. And when, so did I, did I tell you my son's girlfriend is studying to be a teacher? No. And, oh, and I did this with her. She was, she's living in our house because, everything's shut down and she's doing everything online. And so she was going to be all by herself. And we said, so now I feel like my future daughter-in-law is like one of my kids. I love it. And, and she said, she's studying to be a third grade teacher. And I did this assessment for her and she's really strong in discernment and enablement. And I said, you are going to help those kids in what they need. And you're also going to figure out how they learn and, and figure out how to adjust to that. And she's like, that's exactly right. Wow. And I said, and she, and she said, that's perfect for a third grade teacher. I said, exactly. And she says, I'm doing the right thing. But before that, she was like, I don't know, should I be a third grade teacher? Why am I doing this? And it explained it for her. Now, if she had the, the, the genius of invention and wonder, I would say, you're going to hate teaching third grade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, because you can't be like, I, you're like, they have to learn their ABCs. Yeah, but I'd like to teach them more about how to ponder the meaning of life. It's like, well, they're going to be some really deep and stupid kids when they get to be fifth grade. Because <laughs> they don't know their times tables. Yeah. So it 100%. helped her understand this is my vocation. This is my calling. Uh, that's good. Hey, this may be too early to say because this is a new initiative, but uh, you mentioned your childhood. We talked about kids. Do you think just intuitively there's an age at which this would be helpful? Like you have to have a lot of self-reflection and some self-knowledge on it. Could a teenager take it? Definitely college, right? My 14-year-old did. Okay. And we learned we learned about him. I think more importantly, a, a parent could get this and and maybe interview them. Right and, right. and assess them and go like, do you love this? Does he, he doesn't like to do, he doesn't like to go over people's house when it's like this. But man, when he's working on his Legos, he finishes. Yeah, he will yeah. not, if it's not done and not done right, yeah, he's got tenacity. This one over here takes the Legos and wants to create something that Legos aren't supposed to be made for, you know, and this one is over there going, you know, so I think you could apply it. I don't think the assessment is easy, um, yeah, but yeah. I definitely think you get insights around your kids. This kid is recruiting all the kids in the neighborhood to play games and to go on vacation. This one over here is sitting in his room, sol a little sullen because 
he's worried about people in, in Africa who might die from coronavirus. So that's, there's wonder, there's tenacity, there's galvanizing, there's discernment. There's, I think you could probably apply this to your kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, that's really good to know. And so once again, it's workinggenius.com coupon code carry in all caps, C-A-R-E-Y. That'll get you 50% off. And that's super generous, Pat. Anything else you want to share as we wrap up? This, as usual, it's so life-giving. I just love our, our conversations. And, and the reason why we do this is because we're both discerners and we just love like, hey, what about this? What about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a good idea. I mean, we didn't prepare any of this. Not really, no. And we love to just talk because new ideas come. So we're, we're in our genius right now. Now I have to go back to the office and get some real work done. <laughs> oh pat that's great so workinggenius.com coupon code carry on checkout that's so generous of you and your team as always pat it's a thrill thank you for me as well god bless you well pat was really generous in making that resource available to you we have everything in the show notes for you so if you go to carrynewhoff.com forward slash episode 391 that's all there for you, including transcripts of this episode and the links to Working Genius and more. I, I thought it was a lot of fun that Pat and I have almost an identical profile, which means we have a lot of the same upside and a lot of the same struggle. And when I ran my team through it, I found it really, really helpful. And we're repositioning as we speak uh, based on what we learned with Working Genius. So all that is in the show notes. Um, hey, we got a What I'm Thinking About segment coming up. I want to talk to you about some things that vanished in 2020 that make leadership much harder. And uh, next episode, though, I'm so pumped to have Rachel Cruz back on the podcast. Rachel is one of my uh, favorite young communicators. She's a brilliant speaker, great thinker. And uh, we get really practical about money tendencies that everybody has. And kind of like you may have noticed that this this podcast serves as free consulting. Um, So I asked her to run through mine. We play a little game. And here's an excerpt from the next episode. I realized for over a decade, I have been out talking about the how-tos of money, Mm. how to budget, how to get out of debt, how to invest, how to give. And I realized, well, 80% of personal finance, it's behavior. 20% of it, it's head knowledge. So like, just like you're saying, we know what to do. That's such a small part. Like, we know what to do. But doing it is so difficult. It's so hard. It creates sacrifice. You have to say no to yourself. And there's so much there. And the behavior changed. So I just started asking the question, okay, well, then why am I doing the behaviors I'm doing? When you start to unpack that and unravel that, kind of go under the surface. For me, there was so many aha moments, moments that I realized, oh, wow, just having this self-awareness of who I am and why I do the things I do with money helps me because it's not just for self-awareness sake, but it really is to take that and apply it to my life and change my money habits, my money behaviors so that I can win with money faster. So that's next time on the podcast. Subscribers, you're not only going to get Rachel Cruz, you will get Seth Godin, Cal Newport, Craig Rochelle, Mark Clark, John Cotter from Harvard Business School. We are working on a killer lineup for 2021. And if you subscribe, you don't miss a thing and you can listen whenever you want. And of course, it's free. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating, a review. We're uh, watching them regularly and so appreciate it. I read every one and share it with some friends on social media. Send the link to someone. Uh, I don't know about you, but me and my friends are always texting back and forth favorite podcast links. And uh, you can even do that if you use an app like Overcast, like I do, you can share them a time marker. It's like, hey, listen to these five minutes right here. So uh, do share the episode if you would like. So now it's time for what I'm thinking about, brought to you by the Dwell app. You can get Dwell, an audio Bible app today by going to dwellapp.io forward slash carry and get 20% off an annual or lifetime subscription. 
and by my course, The 30-Day Pivot. Last year, threw a wrench into everything. And if you want to start making decisions quickly, get your team to buy in, own the decision, and be able to be flexible, flexibility and agility are superpowers in this ever-changing world. Head on over to the 30daypivot.com. Now, I want to share with you why I think you're going to need to pivot in 2021. A few things disappeared last year that I think are really going to be instrumental in 2021. So one thing that that disappeared last year was consensus. Um, you know, you used to be able to walk into a meeting. It's like, okay, everybody all right? Yeah, yeah, all right, let's go. And you don't have that right now. And that makes team buy-in really difficult, right? Because somebody thinks you should open. Someone thinks you should close. Someone thinks you should defy regulation. Somebody else doesn't. And so you need a framework that is really going to help you figure out how you can get this team on the same page. The 30-day pivot can help you with that. Also, another thing, now I think this died a long time ago, but 2020 just killed it. The returns you get from incremental change. So if you look at a lot of organizations, a lot of churches, a lot of businesses, they rely on incremental change to get them from year to year. Right now in this company that I lead, we're in the midst of a, of a big pivot. I mean, we hit a couple of markers in terms of size and impact and everything. And I'm, I keep telling my team, hey, what got us here will not get us there. And so you're going to notice some changes, hopefully some good changes. But, you know, if you're hoping for 2 to 5% growth, that framework just got destroyed last year. It's just not going to happen. Well, we'll make this a little better, that a little better, away you go. So the problem with incremental change for years has been that incremental change delivers incremental results. I don't know about you. I'm not happy with incremental results. So you're going to have to figure out a way to get more radical change because the world is changing quickly. So anyway, the returns you get from in incremental change, you just can't count on them anymore. Uh, another one is control. So I know there are different models of leadership. Command and control was a popular style in days gone by. Uh, a lot of us are, are recovering control freaks, but just being able to stand up there at the front, say something and hope that everybody follows, that's gone with 2020. Another thing that's disappeared, and this is something I'm really noticing, I'm leaning into my team more than ever, is easy answers. Um, sometimes you're just like, oh, here's what to do. And maybe you're like a lot of leaders and, and me at times, it's like, I'm not 100% sure what to do. And that's why I think it's really important for you to lean into your team probably more than ever. And then uh, finally, this one's going to be a big one to figure out for a lot of you how to pivot is public events everyone is comfortable attending. So last year for church leaders, the rush to return to church didn't quite happen. But, you know, here we are now almost a year on the other side of the beginning of a pandemic. And we're still not at the place where public events are what they used to be. So what is your strategy going to be? If it's fully relying on a reopening, you know, whether you're a restaurant or a small business owner or a small retailer, um, it's just going to be different moving forward. So how do you make decisions? So those are some things that disappeared that are on my radar screen as we head into 2021. And I'm hoping the 30-day pivot can help you solve a lot of that. It's a very simple course. You can do the whole thing in 90 minutes. And then it gives you a framework for change that you can implement in as little as 60 minutes. So this is not some expensive offsite where, you know, you take your whole team away and spend thousands of dollars. No, take it to your staff or leadership team meeting. Just do it. And a couple of things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to, by using the framework, which you can use in as little as 60 minutes, uh, emerge with some concrete ideas that you're going to execute on in the next 30, 60, 90 days. And you'll start to make quick changes and the whole team will buy in using this framework. I've used it enough to be able to say that with confidence. It comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. And we've got some um, very favorable pricing on right now. So head on over to the 30daypivot.com where you can find everything about that. 
And uh, I'm just so excited to be able to, to get alongside you. So excited about the next episode as well. Rachel Cruz, Seth Godin, Cal Newport, and so many others coming up. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope our time together today will help you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.